Today, in, uh, in discussions about leadership, one of the critical issues is whether or not women should lead men, and it's a question not just in the church, but it's in society, it's in the home, it's everywhere. And it's frequent that people will point to Deborah in the book of Judges and say, well, Deborah was a judge, a prophetess over Israel, a mother in Israel. And so that's a precedent in Scripture for there being women who lead men. And it is true that Deborah clearly had the hand of God on her. Um, but one thing we have to remember about the book of Judges is that the, the refrain of the book of Judges is what? Each, each what? Each man, say it with me, each man did what was right in his own eyes. And that is a perfect description of the United States today. If you were to say that the government of the United States has authority and exercises that authority, you could say that the government of the United States exercises its authority in such a way as to make sure that each man can do what is right in his own eyes. <laughs> and what's interesting is that when we look back at the age of the patriarchs, which literally means pater, father, archos, or its leader, authority. So father, authority, we look back at that day, and we look down our noses at it, and we're condescending, and, you know, we, it's, it's a negative term today. It's become a negative term. And so doing what is right in your own eyes, if you were here for Stephen's Sunday school class this morning, you remember what he taught. It's all about me, what my judgments, what my consciousness is, and that is America. And do you remember in the first service, some of you were here, I told you what was a constant refrain of, of Rita. You remember Rita was the, older God, the godly older woman in our church who would meet with me every week, and because she, she'd always ask what to pray for, and I'd always say, pray that I'll read my Bible. And so she began early to give me pages and pages of Scripture. Every time she came in, she'd hand me them. They're all written out by hand. And she'd say, now you read these, and then we'll talk. And that was her way of making sure that at least once a week I'd read the Bible. And after years of seeing what she chose to write down, and it was always probably about 15 to 20 different Scripture passages, just a few words of each one, I, I learned what were her most precious texts of Scripture, and here's one of them. This is Isaiah 30, 18 to 21. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. Be gracious unto you, have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more, he will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. We cry out, and we won't be like the nasty father or mother that <laughs> doesn't really care if you're crying. You know, you can cry all you want, he won't appear. But God, it says, that at the voice of your cry, when he shall hear it, he will answer you. And by the way, I'm not telling you always to answer your children when they cry, trust me. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, so he will, he's a good father, he'll give us the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet 
And this is what Rita would always emphasize. Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. And what I knew Rita was saying was that she, being a very godly woman, being a woman that knew her Bible inside and out, Dave Ferris had been a pastor a few years before me, and she had worked as his secretary for like 18 years. And every time he was talking to somebody in his office, and he couldn't remember where a scripture, hey, Rita, where is such and such? Well, David, I think it's over on page, you know, and she'd tell him, page such and such, and it's the top right-hand corner. She had this memory that was not just the, the text and the verse, but it was also the part of the page. You know, so she'd open her Bibles, and she, she'd find, oh, yeah, it's up in that right corner. I remember where that scripture was. And this woman, knowing the Bible and being godly, never stopped giving thanks for having a pastor. You know, that's just weird. Every time I'd read it, I'd think, she's talking about me. She's telling me how thankful to God she is for me. This is weird. But it's a previous day when leadership was loved and when people realized that the curse was not having leaders, but not having leaders. If you receive my meaning. <laughs> the curse was not that they had leaders, but the curse was if you didn't have leaders. All right. Westminster Confession of Faith, in the chapter... 25 on the church, of the church, it says this. Roman numeral 2, the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal, so every time we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it means the universal church, all right? It's not Rome, all right? The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law. You remember this morning we were seeing how tongues was given as, a, as part of the emphasis of God that it's no longer limited to one nation, but now the Gentiles are in. All right, it's not limited to one nation. <clears throat> Consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion together with their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God. You remember what our scripture just said? You know, you give out the, the, the qualifications for officer, and then it says... You know, I've written you so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the household of faith. You remember it says that? And then it says the pillar and foundation of the truth. And is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ the house and family of God through which men are ordinarily saved and union with which is essential to their best growth and service? Unto this Catholic and visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints. So God has given you officers for your perfecting. He's given them for your protection. He's given them to you so that you will grow in your ability to know the difference between good and evil, so that you will see the path 
and you will hear the voice behind you saying, this is the path, walk in it. This is the reason that God gives you officers. Then on church censures, the Westminster Confession says, the Lord Jesus, as king and head of his church, hath therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers distinct from the civil magistrate. It's not the same thing as a civil magistrate, all right? Now, I would like to do a couple of things tonight. Uh, I'd like to take you to Moses twice, because you know that the the beginning of the office of deacon was when there was a, a fight in the church in Jerusalem over how much of the charity of the church the Hebrew and the Greek Jews were getting. And so they appointed men to make sure that all the distribution to the poor was fair to the widows. And uh, there are smarty pants in the church today who deny that that was the beginning of the office of deacon. But if you don't mind me saying it, any idiot knows it was. And I don't have a deeper argument than that. Okay? Now, where did the office of elder come from? Well, all office really came from the fatherhood of God. God is the father from whom all fatherhood gets its name. But if you look at Exodus, you'll see the beginning of the leadership of the people of God, and it starts really in Exodus 3 with God calling whom? God calling Moses. And I want you to listen to this a little bit because I think it's pretty typical of the kind of situation you have when God calls a man to work. So in Exodus 3, beginning with verse 11, we're picking it up in the middle. You remember that Moses has been uh, saved from the slaughter of the rich people. The rich people are always slaughtering the children of the poor people. You know that. That's a theme in history. And Pharaoh was afraid of all the poor Hebrews outgrowing the, Egypt, the native-born Egyptians. And so Pharaoh uh, decreed that they would all be killed. And, and by God's mercy, Moses was saved. And Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. And then Moses, um, <clears throat> one day when he was a young man, saw uh, an Egyptian, you know, a, a, a blue blood, whooping up on one of his own Hebrews, And so he killed the man. Well, the next day he went out, and people, some of the Hebrews who had seen him do this, uh, said, you know, he told them to stop fighting, and they said, so you're going to kill us too. So he knew that his life was at risk in Egypt because the word had gotten out that he had killed an Egyptian, okay? So he goes off in the wilderness, and he works as a shepherd. And we're picking up the story in the middle. God has appeared to him. And God is calling Moses to lead his people go. You know the the expression, you know, let my people go. All right, that's what Moses is being told to do. In verse 11 of chapter 3, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God, to Moses, Moses says, Who am I? And he said, God said to Moses, Certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. In other words, my leadership of you as you lead the people, you'll know that I'm with you because I'll bring you back here. And of course, it seems wacko to Moses because he looks at the, you know, at the children of Israel back in Egypt and you're going to bring, you're going to 
I'm going to bring them back here. Okay, right, I've got it. And so Moses then said to God, verse 13, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So it had been 430 years since God had appeared to Jacob, and there was no other report of an appearance to any Israelite since Jacob. And so the people of God weren't likely to be pushovers when Moses claimed that God had appeared to him. Yeah, sure God appeared to you, right? And so then God, verse 14, said to Moses, so remember that Moses had said to him, what is his name? Who's, who's this God? Then God said to Moses, I am who I am, okay? And it is every bit as bodacious and, and brash and self-referential and, 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 and uh, circular logic. and It's the kind of statement that there's no explanation for. Do you understand this? It's the kind of statement like when your mother, you said to your mother, why? And she said, because I said so, or I am your mother. Okay? And that's what God's saying here. I am, all right, who I am. You want to know my name? I am who I am. Okay? And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now listen, that's not going to cut it. You know? Oh, okay, God, that's all I needed to hear. You know? I'll go to the Israelites and say, I am has sent me to you. All right, now we pick it up with chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent, a snake. And Moses fled from it. (laughs) That's a funny little thing. You know, don't you think that's funny? You know, he got scared and ran. All right. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail, the snake that is. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, so, okay, it's not enough. I am has sent me to you, and then you get, you know, the snake. But, okay, here's something else. Oh, and you can grab the snake, and then it'll become a staff. Now, that's cool, right, guys? That's cool. All right, it's cool. And then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. Oh, or excuse me, let me go back up. Um, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And that was, uh, that was the worst thing that could happen to you. And then he said, put your hand back into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again. When he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So it would be like this. You put it in, take it out, it's white with leprosy. Put it back in, take it out, it's clean. All right? If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. So now he's got two things in his, uh, in his uh, 
uh, what do you call the thing you carry your arrows, you know, or in his holster. He's, yeah, he's got the uh, thingamabugger, and he's got the thingamabugger, right? Okay, now, we're, we're not done yet. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Okay, so you can, you can do the snake thing, or you can do the snake to the rod thing. You put your hand in, it's leprous. You take the, your hand out, it's clean. Or you can pour water, take water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, it's going to be like blood. All right? Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now think back about all the excuses he's given. Who should I tell? Well, you know, I am. Okay, but like, how do I know? Well, you'll come back to this place. Okay, but it still doesn't work for me, you know? Okay, go ahead, throw it on the ground, pick it up. It's still that, okay, then put your hand in, take your hand in. It still doesn't. Okay, then throw water, right? At that point, Moses says to the Lord, I don't know how to talk. I'm not eloquent. Neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. In other words, even you speaking to me now hasn't made me able to talk well. All right, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. This is Brian Bailey and Joseph Bailey. Every time I talk on the phone to Brian Bailey and Joseph, I say, are you there? Are you there? But they're killer writers. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing a blind? Now, this is something we all need to hear. Whatever the defect is that you and your loved ones have, God has made it. Don't ever think that because somebody's life isn't perfect or because they suffer or because they're in a persistent vegetative state, that somehow they have escaped the attention of God and their life is not worth living. Every single thing that comes to you, everything that ever came to Katie, everything that ever has, will come to Mary Louise, to Bob, these people are exactly the way God has made them. Okay? And so Moses is complaining he can't talk, and God says, hey, if you can't talk, it's because I made you that way. In other words, look, I'm telling you what to do. Don't give me excuses. I know you can't talk. I made you that way. All right? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go. So God is not giving up. I'm telling you, go. I'm telling you, go. I'm telling you, go. Okay, do this. Okay, do this. Okay, do this. Okay, then do this. Oh, you can't speak? I made your mouth that way. Now then go. Okay? And I, even I, God is saying, will be your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Now listen, can you feel the heightened tension here? This is pretty incredible. This is God. And it started with a burning bush. And at this point, Moses, it says, verse 13, but he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Send someone else. And then we read, and nobody here has any shock that we read this next, right? Right? Then we read, 
Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. God has made the desire for intimacy, physical intimacy, very strong in men. As a matter of fact, so strong that a man, to satisfy that desire, will marry a woman and have children. And it's not because the man wants children. There are some men that want children. But generally, what they want is a woman. Because they realize it's not good for them to be alone. And when they have a woman, then they have children. And with children comes what? Responsibility. Leadership. And no man wants responsibility. (laughs) Right? No man wants responsibility. And yet we love our woman, and somehow our loving that woman produces little people. Unless we subvert it. And then we're faced with the decision of whether or not we will do what God's called us to do, which is to be responsible for those little people. And that's life, and now you die. Right? And if you could think of all the excuses that you have made to your wife and to yourself and to your children about why you have not carried your responsibility, right? You think of all the excuses you give to God. You think of all the excuses you give to yourself for not doing what you know you should do as a father and a husband, right? Oh, Lord, you know, I can't speak well. Oh, Lord, I didn't have a good daddy. Oh, Lord, I have a hard job. And I can't be home very much, you know. They just the excuses are voluminous. We have all these excuses. Oh Lord, I can't, I can't be a good father until my children respect me the way they should. And we just have all these excuses for why we don't simply shut our mouths and do the work that God has called us to do. And this starts young. It starts at your age. When you're told to do something and you, well, can we just finish the game, you know, and, well, I'm tired, I just got home from school, and, well, I have to cut the grass later, right? Not you, but you. And God's made woman in such a way that the idea of not fulfilling her responsibility never enters the brain of a woman. I have never had a woman say, send somebody else. She gives birth, and she is joined more firmly than a coupler between two boxcars to that life that God has given her. What a woman will say is, I'm doing a lousy job. A woman will say, I hate it. A woman will say, I have a temper problem. But a woman will never say, send somebody else. (laughs) You know? 
I mean, you know what I'm saying? No woman says, I'll send somebody else. But men always say, send somebody else. And Moses is called by God to be a nursing mother to the nation of Israel. And Moses does not want to do it. You know that Spurgeon said that anybody who ever wanted to be a shepherd, a pastor, an elder, should not be allowed to be. That the only people that were qualified to do it were people that didn't want to do it. Because he had this hyper-spiritual idea that only people that saw what the task actually was and felt that they were inadequate for it were qualified for it, right? But that's... I don't know. I've never liked that. I mean, sure, there's a sense in which anybody who's called to be a deacon or an elder or a a pastor should feel their inadequacy and should think to themselves, I'm not qualified to do this, right? But there's another sense in which the scriptures say that if you aspire for the office of overseer, it's a good aspiration, But listen, as you look at Moses, it's very clear to you that there is not the slightest aspiration in Moses for the office of a nursing mother to the nation of Israel of a leader. He just doesn't want to do it. And when he keeps giving excuses, God lowers himself and lowers himself and lowers himself. God keeps going down into the rut with Moses. And Moses keeps going deeper. You know, he more excuses and God and finally God gives him Aaron and who was it that crafted the golden idol it was Aaron and so tonight we have men who through a variety of uh, checkpoints you know it's a long process these men are coming before us tonight to give themselves to leadership they're they're going to be Uh, deacons, they're going to be elders of us. And the difference between the office of deacon and the office of elder is that a deacon principally is a ministry of compassion, whereas elder is principally a ministry of authority. Okay? But they're both leaders and they both exercise authority. If you've ever asked for financial help from the deacons, you know that they want to know what you've done with the money you've already had. And they also want to know whether you're working, right? And they'd have to be crazy not to ask those questions. So there is always authority in leadership. Always. And these men are coming before you tonight willing to take on this office. And so we're going to pray, we're going to lay hands on them, and set them apart to this ministry. Do you remember what happened to Moses as soon as he went down to Egypt and finally agreed to do what God had been telling him to do? Remember he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let the people go. Do you remember what Pharaoh does right away? Pharaoh right away takes away their straw. You know, they're making bricks. And he says, oh, so they think that they have time to delay. This is like the Mike Bowles view, vision of, of, of leadership. You know, oh, you're going you're gonna to complain about working? Okay, fine. No straw. <laughs> Don't you think that's like Mike? <laughs> I mean, not that he's mean, you know. But he's, you're going to complain about working? Fine, no straw. And then do you remember what the Israelites said to Moses? Anybody remember? Huh? 
Yeah, we were better off without you, but it's uh, Josh should be saying what it says because he's an editor. Do you remember what it is? No, you're wrong. (laughs) Josh would have gotten it right if he remembered it. What Tim said is, you have made us a stench in Pharaoh's nostrils, but that's not what it says. You have made us a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh. Now, come on, laugh. That's funny. A stench in the eyes? Our eyes don't smell. You've made us stink to Pharaoh's eyes. So Tim, Tim cleaned it up. That's what our translators do for us today. You know, they're always cleaning up scripture because, well, it doesn't make any sense, stench in the eyes. You know, it has to be the nose, right? In other words, the minute he went down and did what God told him to do, he began to have a rebellion on the part of the people he was supposed to lead. Okay? Every single person who leads has rebellion on the part of the people underneath him. When a husband marries a wife, she rebels against him. When the husband and wife have children, the children rebel against them. But you guys, it's very hard to follow anybody, isn't it? Moses didn't want to lead because he knew that Pharaoh wouldn't appreciate his leadership. And he knew that the Israelites wouldn't appreciate his leadership. He had a, he had a good thing going out in the wilderness. He was like Lawrence down by his pond. You know, no more dirty mouths. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is Lawrence here tonight? Oh, good, I can talk about him. He's not here. Good. Is he? No, I don't think he is. Good. And so this is the nature of elders and deacons and pastors also, is it's very difficult to lead because every one of you has 20-20 vision about what we should have done. And so to those of you who are going to be ordained tonight, you will not be appreciated, Josh. You know, you just won't be. Your mother will think the world of you, but nobody else will. Well, you probably don't even think the world of them, right? And the same thing is true of you, Ben. Even your wife won't think the world of you. Where's Ben? There he is, all dressed in a suit. Where's your wife? Oh, she didn't hear that, okay. It's hard to imagine any of us being upset with Ben, isn't it? What would you get upset with Ben for? Uh, Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or because, yeah. I was upset with you last week, actually. And so Moses is told that God, God calls him Moses does everything he can to get out of it. God gets angry at him. God gives him Aaron to help him. He goes. He tells Pharaoh to let, him go, let God's people go. Pharaoh takes away the straw, and then the children of Israel say, you have made us a stench. And if you watch Moses all through the wandering to the promised land, again and again and again, the Israelites try to be done with Moses. And God... You remember the time that God says, you know, get away from them. I'm going to consume them. And Moses pleads with God to not destroy his people because it'll ruin God's reputation on everybody watching. 
And then we have that wonderful situation where Moses is spending day after day after day judging between the people, and his father-in-law Jethro says, you go ahead and appoint one man over every ten, and ten men over every hundred, and only the difficult cases should come to you. And so Moses now has all these helpers all through the nation of Israel, all right? And I, I want to say a couple things. Number one, leadership is a blessing. You know, God gives us men who tell us this is the way, walk in it. And you children, God gives you your mother and your father, this is the way, walk in it. Don't, don't rebel against your parents. Don't be bitter against them. Don't resist them. If you want to be happy in your marriage, find out whether your parents like the person you're going to marry. It was so happy, I left to come over and print out my sermon. And as I left, there was a young woman in my kitchen sitting at our counter, and I told her, you know, I wanted you to be the wife of my son because you remind me of my wife. Now that's beautiful, isn't it? You know, that I saw this young girl when she was your age, and she reminded me of my wife, and I wanted her for my son. You know, listen to your parents. Follow them. They know who's going to make you happy when you get married. They know you better than you know yourself. You know that. Right, Josiah? Right. All right. So leadership is a blessing, so let your mom and your dad and let your elders and your, and your deacons lead you. Number two, those of you who are elders and deacons, give it to the Lord. You don't have the capacity to do it, but when God calls you, you say yes, because you don't want to make God angry. Those of you who are small group leaders, you're faithful to your small group, because God's going to hold you accountable if you harm your small group. Okay? You try, if you're in a small group, to make the job of your small group leader a joy and not a pain. Because as it says in Hebrews, how does it benefit you if you're leaders, if you make yourself a pain to your leaders? Okay, one other illustration, and I'll stop and and we'll do our work. Um, I've only once gone under the knife, and it was a minor procedure. It was an appendicitis. And I was lying in in the prep room getting prepped. All right, if you've ever gone under surgery, you have an idea what I might be talking about. And I saw this dude standing over at a counter. And I mean, he was a dude. He had an IU hat on. And he had all this gold around his neck. And it seemed like he was rich. And I knew nurses weren't rich. So I figured he had to either be the surgeon or the anesthesiologist, right? And so I looked at the guy and I said, are you the anesthesiologist? He said, yep. And I said, I want you to know that I will never sue you. And he said, what? What did you say? And I said, I want you to know I'm a Christian and I don't believe in suing. And so even if I die because of your malpractice, you will never be sued by me or my family. And this guy just like looks at me. He can't believe it, right? Now, why did I do that? I have two doctors. I have one doctor I pay and one I don't pay. And who do I trust? 
I trust the one I don't pay. Why? Because the one I don't pay loves me. Right? Why did I say that to the anesthesiologist? I knew I wasn't going to be able to craft a love relationship quickly. (laughs) But I was willing to have gratitude and affection. You know, in other words, I wanted to be somebody that he felt like he wanted to do a good job on. Right? Right? Does that make sense? You know? And he did. He did a good job. I'm here to talk about it. You know? And afterwards, we had uh, an, uh, a progressive care nurse in the church at that time, and she told me that she had never seen him come to a post-op room before. He came to my room when I was done with surgery. He just sat and talked and talked and talked, you know? <laughs> and so Adam is the doctor I trust. My other doctor's good. Why do I trust Adam? Hmm? I trust Adam because he loves me. And that's what God's saying in Hebrews about our relationship with our leaders, okay? Our relationship with our leaders is to be a relationship of love, that they love us and that we love them because that's what's best for us. When there's love, then we know that what they're doing is because of their love And so it doesn't hurt as much. We don't get as angry. You know what I'm saying? Because we know they love us. And so you want to treat your leaders who are ordained tonight with love. You want to give them gifts. You want to bake for them. You want to show up when their wife is sick. You want to do everything you can to make their life a joy. Because then they'll be even more careful in how they care for you. Does that make sense to you? So let's do it. Let's pray and then let's ordain.